Thank you for tuning in to the Highest Praise Church podcast. For more information about Highest Praise Church, please visit highestpraisechurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jordan Lancaster. But I want to speak to you today on the topic of conviction. And the crowd goes wild, right? <laughs> like conviction, what is it? And I think for me, uh, for me this is not, th- I, I wrestled over this. No, I, I really don't want to preach on conviction. Like we could, let's, let's, let's do something different. But, um, but it is an operation of the Holy Spirit, amen? And, uh, and it is something that's so necessary for every believer, believer not only to experience, obviously, but to understand what, what conviction is. And I, it's important that we have confidence in conviction, that we have confidence in the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. And, um, and, um, and so I, I believe it's, it's kind of, it's not popular. It's not something that's taught often, but it is necessary to your everyday life, that's conviction. And conviction shapes who you are. Um, I, I've, I've always been taught that, you know, we are to love the world, but not worldliness. Can I get an amen on that? We're to love the world, but not worldliness. And um, John 16, 8 says, The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So it's the operation of the Holy Spirit to convict. No word that I could say tonight would convict you to the point of salvation. However, the operation of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you will do that. Um, the Holy Spirit will convict your heart of sin. And uh, the greatest sin and the greatest need for conviction is, is due to that of unbelief. Unbelief in that Jesus is the Son of God. And we talk about all of the sins that are out there and the, we see the the evil that is in our world and, and the need for a, for a Savior is so great. But the greatest conviction and the greatest sin that there is is the sin of unbelief. Because when unbelief is present, every other sin can be present. But when you believe in Jesus and unbelief has been removed and now faith enters then all of a sudden you go from a place of unbelief to where sin is prevalent to now you have faith and you believe and when you believe then sin has to be gone so so conviction the operation of the holy spirit is is the purpose of it is so that you will believe that Jesus is the answer for every sin and when you believe in Jesus now you have the answer for every sin that's on the inside of you but if unbelief lives so does every sin so so if we were we were to identify what the what, what the operation of the Holy Spirit is, is that so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. To convict you of your own iniquity, see that you need a Savior, that His name is Jesus. And when, you, when, when Jesus finds you, you come to a place where sin no longer reigns, but now He reigns, and so now sin has to flee. That's the operation of the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So conviction needs to happen in our life. And and in the Word of God, when I began to read and study on this, I saw that Jesus marveled at faith and belief. And he always rebuked unbelief. Faith and belief marveled Jesus. Every time someone believed, they got healed. Every time someone believed, they got saved. Every time they believed, but every time unbelief happened, he looked at the Pharisees and he just rebuked them. 
Every time unbelief began to come, he rebuked it. Why? Because if unbelief is taken care of in your life and conviction comes and you identify you need a Savior, then everything else falls into line in your life. Conviction, power, the Holy Spirit. I was, um, I, forgot, I forgot exactly where we were. I was reminded of this as I was coming up here today. But we, we went out to eat somewhere in Davis. I had my three boys with me. And I didn't hear the interaction of the hostess or the lady that was talking to him, but she's bent over talking to him for a moment. I'm trying to get there. And she says, do you like something? I don't know what it was specifically. And Davis takes a step back from her, looks at her, and says loudly, and I'm like behind him, and says loudly, he says, <laughs> he says we're not allowed to watch that in my family. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it was. I just kind of stayed away because the lady was like, draw back. But my four-year-old, responded to someone who was very kind, she didn't know, but responded to him, and, and he responded back, we're not allowed to watch that in my family. That's not something what we do. And, and I took a step back, I said, I'd look at the Chelsea, I said, did you just hear Davis? She goes, no, what he said. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, like, does he realize all the other stuff he does that is not allowed in our family? Can we talk about those things for a moment here? Like, at le- but at least it gave me some hope for a minute there to, hey, listen, we got, we, got, we got through to Davis somehow. Davis is our youngest. He's, a, he's lovely. He's, a, he's lovely. But, but he looked at her and he says, we do not watch that or we don't do that in our family. How many know that's conviction? It's conviction. It's conviction that, that, that he understands because of the family that he's a part of. There are some things that are, might be okay for her, but for him, it's not okay. There are some, some lines in the sand. There are some guidelines, some, some guardrails. I don't know if you like to bowl. I do, but sometimes I have to use the rail. Okay, I have to put the th- But there are some things that keep you in line, that, keep, that keeps him in line, that keeps me in line. And he understood that because he's a part of that family, that, that there's just some things he's not going to do and some things he can't do, and conviction sets in. Our convictions can be sabotaged and our purposes can be sabotaged when our convictions are in the right place. There are two ways that, two things that can sabotage or ruin our convictions that we're supposed to have our life. Number one, we have forgotten who God is. And, and a lot of times the, that is not something that happens first in our life. A lot of people will identify who God is and never really change their mind about who God is. But the second thing that will ruin and and really sabotage our convictions in our life is we forget who we are in God. See, we we reverence God as as holy and as righteous and and therefore, and full of grace and mercy, mercy, which he is. But we forget who we are in him. And when we do, we know that it is not okay for God, but it's okay for us because of who we are not in God. And so it's important that there's two things. For Davis, for example, he didn't forget what, what daddy said. He knew that it was that daddy has taught him that that's not okay. But he also did not forget that it's not okay for him. And in, in a, the life of a believer... You have to understand that, that when God sets a standard and order in your life, that he's not doing it for himself. Please understand this. Sin does not change who, in your life, does not change who God is. Right? Okay, so I'm, we're going we're gonna to be all right tonight, okay? But sin in our life does not change who God is. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. 
If I decide to go out and, and in 30 seconds ruin my 34 years of, of, of trying to live honorable to God, and if I go in 30, it doesn't change who he is. But sin does change who I am. Sin changes every bit of who I am. It changes, it changes who I, who, how I re, who I, how I respond to, to, the, to the presence of God, how I respond to my family, how I respond to my wife. It changes how I respond to my children. It changes what identifies me. It, it, it changes who I am. Now, now the truth of who, who God has called me to be hasn't changed. But where I am in this moment, sin has come and changed who I am on the inside. I'm not who I once was. I, 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 sin has, has come in. And so sometimes we have to remember that, hey, that when things start to creep up in our life, we have to, we have to be like, hey, that, that is not okay in the family of God. There are some things that, that the world can get away with that you as believers in the family of God, you won't be able to get away with because of the conviction power of Jesus. So how does God deal with us? I'll be the first one to, to tell you that God deals with me every single day. Praise the Lord. If he didn't, I'd be worried, okay? I'd be worried. And he deals with me every single day on things that I need that I need to address and convictions in my life. And so how does God deal with us? God does not often deal with us on issues or sins all at one time. We wouldn't be able to bear it. A lot, many times that, that we'll find that the deeper we go with God is, is in every season, every level we go with God, he'll, be, he'll begin to identify and address issues and sins in our life at that moment. See, what was normal in one season may take you out in another season. You, you, get, you got me. See, see, what used to not bother you, the closer you get to God begins to bother you. Okay, what used to be okay and was permissible, you come to a place in your life where, hey, the closer I get to God, it, this thing just ain't working out like it used to. I can't, why can't I enjoy what I used to enjoy and now all of a sudden conviction sets in? See, conviction, here's what I want you to think of it as, okay? Conviction is not God spanking you with a paddle because you've done the wrong thing. Conviction is an invitation for you to go deeper with him. Oh, man. See, conviction is, hey, hey, this, I want you to come closer to me, but the closer you get to me, there'll be things that's going to want to fall off of you. Like conviction is, hey, I'm going to draw you in closer, and when I do, there's the things that, are, that you're not going to be able to hold on to like you used to. There's going to be things. I, I know there's, there's, a, there's a picture I've seen or a video I've seen of um, people <clears throat> that are reaching into a glass case, and they're, and they're trying to get a hold of a bar of gold. And if they can pull the bar of gold out in their hand through the hole, then they can leave with the bar of gold. But many people are not able to hold on to the bar of gold and also pull out their hand and leave the place that they're at. So many people will stay there for hours manipulating and maneuvering how to, to leave, how to exit their hand, to exit that place with what they want to hold on to so dearly. But what they discover is, is that it's impossible for them to go somewhere else and also keep what they want. 
And in our life, a lot of times, the things that we want most and that we hold on to in our life, we are, we are unable to move forward in God when we hold on to things that God wants us to let go of. Can I get an amen? And so God calls us, the more we mature, the more we grow, the, things, the more conviction comes. So conviction is an invitation to go to a deeper place with God. That's what conviction is. And I say this, I think it's Bill Johnson who says, he says, sin is a violation of God's original design. We go all the way back to the beginning of time. The design of the Garden of Eden was not to set up an opportunity for man to sin. It was to set up a place where God and man communed together, walked together. And so sin interrupted the original design of God. When we undermine the purpose and plan that God has, we remove conviction of accountability. So when we undermine the purpose of God and the plan of God in our life, we remove the conviction of accountability. When we remove the conviction of accountability, we undermine the fear of God. And the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. So when we begin to behave and act in a manner that, that does not show wisdom and does not evidence of the heart of God in your life, then, then really what, it, what we're saying is, hey, we've taken our, our eyes off the purpose God has for our life, therefore we've lost conviction of the purpose that we must have, and also now we, we, we are walking in foolishness and not in wisdom. Losing conviction in our life removes boundaries of how we are supposed to live. When we lose convictions, we lose boundaries. When we lose convictions, we lose boundaries. So convictions are, are, are the, kind of the, the definition of a place and the boundaries that we are to go. There is a line that, that listen, we are not to cross. Uh, and so sin comes back and sabotages the original plan that God had for your life. See, see God's plan is not for you to deal with your sin until you die and go to heaven and be free from it. God's desire is that you have conviction over what the enemy is trying to put place in front of you and what you're partaking of, and you say, hey, I'm not partaking of this because God has made a way for me to be free and live free now, not just for eternity. Not just in the future, but right now. Uh, Rod, Par Rod Parsley says that that's sin, that conviction is to your spirit what pain is to your body. So when you find you when you feel pain, you know that something's wrong and that it needs to be addressed based upon the pain that you feel at a location of your body. So if you if you feel pain in your shoulder, that's an indication that something's wrong. Conviction in your life is is a place where God says, "Hey, this is a place that I need you to address before you move forward." With me is a place that, hey, this is an area that needs to be addressed. So conviction is something that is supposed to bring light to a situation or a place to get you whole and healthy with God. So that's what conviction is. So sin sabotages the plan of God in your life. So when sin comes, it's not there because, because you are not perfect. Sin is there to take you out. Does everybody hear me? When sin's in your life, you don't, listen, we don't... I, we don't get a pass to sin because we're not perfect. Because the enemy's desire, he's got, they're, they're, he's got a plan, he's got an agenda, and his only desire is not for you to sin today, but he wants to see you taken out. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's, that's how sin, when, when you give it this much, 
and you give him a little bit, what's he really looking for? Everything. He wants it all. So he, when he comes before you and we begin to allow a little bit of things to happen and we begin to push away conviction and become numb to those things, the enemy is looking for an opportunity to grow more and to grow more and grow more. Greed, for example. Greed is a violation of God's plan to reward you with increase. Think about it like this. If, if with greed, I'm violating God's process of reward, greed is me wanting something that doesn't belong to me. Like if I want something that someone else has, that is me wanting something that doesn't belong to me. So in reality, I'm becoming a thief to obtain something that is not for me in this season. So if I want something that Billy has, and I covet over that, and I have greed over that thing, I am coveting something that God doesn't have for me. Maybe it's not, I'm never going to get it, but in this season, it's not mine. So I am actually... And I go, and if I try to, to get that, and I've tried to obtain that, at all costs, I go after what I want. What I'm doing is I'm actually, I'm actually taking something from my, stealing something from my future and bringing it to right now through greed. God's design is of conviction is to release joy to believers. See, doing stuff God's way is not punishment or restriction. His way, his, the, the purpose behind conviction is so that he is his design to release and reward us with joy, with prosperity, and with everything he has planned for us. See, same way, let's say um, homosexuality. Homosexuality is nothing more than sabotaging God's original design, sin. See, we want to use, homo sin, that is sin's agenda across the board. It doesn't matter if it's homosexuality or premarital sex. See, premarital sex is wanting nothing, is wanting this, wanting what's mine now before I actually do it the right way. We become a thief to our marriage by taking what's supposed to be in marriage and bringing it to me right now. Does that make sense? And so when we have a desire and we have a heart for greed, for lust, for, for these things, and we'll lie for it, we'll cheat for it, we'll steal for it, whatever it is, we are a thief to our own futures by trying to take what God has. And God has this design of wanting to bless us in the season, in a way, and he uses conviction to do that. And so when we, when we don't operate under the power of conviction and respond to conviction, we don't receive the rewards and the blessings in the manner that he has ordered us to. We go all back to the garden, we think of, of the lack of conviction that was with Adam and Eve. And the result of, the, of the, the sin, sin changed the boundaries of the garden. If sin will change the boundaries of a divine appointment with God for Adam and Eve, what in the world do you think it would do for your day today? If it changes the order of, of the way that man communes with God, what do you think it would do to the way that you communion with your husband or with your wife? See, sin is, sin and sin is, is, is just that. It is a, a sabotager. It is, a, it is something that's looking to completely separate you from God. See, God calls us to be separate and apart for his work, Sin wants us to separate us apart from him so we may not do his work. All right. So 
here's, here's one that you think of. I put this down. Most of the, of the problems in our life comes from the fact that you listen, that we listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. So we listen to our flesh. We listen to our desires. We listen to, instead of listening to the Holy Spirit, who says, big red flags, conviction, pumping in your chest, knowing that, 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 hey, this is not right. But what we do is we listen to ourselves and our flesh and our desires, and then we begin to walk according to our flesh and not according to the Spirit. Instead of listening to our flesh, we talk to ourselves. We pull a Davis and say, oh, this, this isn't right. We can't do this. Instead of talking to yourself, says, self, you're going to line up to the word of God. Self, you're going to line up according to what God is to do. And I, I want to help you. If you're struggling with this, there is, there's one thing that you have to always remember, and, and, I, and I see it so prevalent in the church, not our church necessarily, but in the body of Christ, is that it is so it is almost impossible to live right in life, to live the right life when you're connected to the wrong people. If you're trying to live right, I always say look at the people you're connected with. If you're trying to do right, look and you're not and you just can't look at who you're connected to. And so, and so there's, there comes a time where you have to say, hey, instead of just listening to what my desires say, listening to my flesh, I've got to speak to that thing and, and, and say, hey, you will line up to the word of God. You will do what you're supposed to do. You will live according to the word of God. Martin Luther, one of the quotes that I love for him, he says, my conscience and my convictions come from the word of God. That's where we get the Protestant Reformation come from. That his, his, it didn't come from the opinions of other people or the, who he was connected to. It didn't come from anything except the word of God, which led to the Reformation to where we are now. There's an there's a unlikely person I want to, let's see, I got about 18 minutes. There's an unlikely, I don't usually speak on Wednesday nights, so my timeline is off in here. So if I go long, just don't tell pastor, okay? He won't. I don't like it. Mark, um, Mark 6 and 20 is, speaks of Herod. And when we speak of Herod in Mark chapter 6, this is where John the Baptist is beheaded. Okay? A gruesome story of a, of a martyr for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you speak of Herod, you look at this, this, this man and you ask initially think when he speak, when I hear his name, of, of just an evil person that would kill the voice in the wilderness, that would take his head from his shoulders. But it says here, there's something that I passed over, and I've never really, never really looked at it hard until, until now. And he says this, it says, verse 20, Mark 6, 24, Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things, and he heard him gladly. One of the things that I gathered from this, there's not a long narrative after this explaining, number one, you know, why he feared John, how he knew that he was just and holy man. And, and it, didn't, it doesn't say how he heard John, nor does it say what many things he did. But there's enough here where you can kind of put together a narrative of what may have happened. See, there was only one place that John actually preached the gospel, and that was out in the valley, outside the city. If Herod heard 
John, as the scripture says, that means that Herod went to John and heard him speak. Can we come to that conclusion? I think we can. And so I picture Herod hearing of John, hearing of, of the preacher that is out in the wilderness, hearing of the gospel that's being preached, and he, he, he may, may even see from his vantage point or from where he's sitting in the palace, he may see through the valley the crowds of people that is going to hear John the Baptist. And he may, in, him, in himself or even to his, 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 the people, his servants, ask, Who, what is going on in the wilderness that would draw people out of the city to there? And they may be speaking of, hey, there's John the Baptist. Some say that he's a prophet. Some say you know, sometimes he's Elijah. Some say that he's, he, that he's a, a great preacher, which I can just imagine. It's hard to get people in this beautiful building when you preach. Imagine being out in the wilderness and looking crazy like John and getting people to go to you. You know, this is a guy, he must have been a phenomenal preacher to, to gather people to him. I mean, he, he dressed in, in, in camel skin and, and ate crazy things and, and, and looked weird, but when he spoke, it drew the crowds. And so this is Herod now coming out. I believe Herod went and visited him saying, I've got to see for myself what is it about this man that is drawing crowds out from the beautiful city into the wilderness. So, so I can see him going out there listening and hearing. And the Bible says, the Bible says in verse 20 that, that he knew that he was a holy man. He protected him. And when he heard him, so he is under the sound of the voice of John, but he's also, it says that he heard him gladly. So not only that, but he's under the power of God. Now watch me for a moment. Don't get lost and too caught up in this. But So he was under this and to the point that he knew what was holy. He knew what was right. And he knew that John was feared God. So he feared John and protected him. And so Herod comes to a place where he's listening to the message. And the message was strong enough for him to identify that his words are divine and they are not carnal. That whatever he's saying is truth and it's not a lie. To the point it affected him. To the point I believe it says in the word of God that he heard him and he did many things. Now looking at that, this means that that there was a level of conviction and, and truth that Herod understood here to the point where I believe that he changed some of his habits. He changed some of his actions. And he may have begun to remove things to the point where people began to identify in his life that things are changing amidst Herod. There's something shifting. Like he understood that there was something going on here. And the Bible says he did many things. And and he responded because he feared John and he heard the message. But the problem was he feared John, but, but Herod did not fear God. See, when we fear just the message, it will hold us over temporarily. You hear a good sermon and, you, and, you, and it strikes you in that moment. And you don't actually re you respond to the words, but you don't actually respond to the truth, of the, to the God behind the message. And so Herod says he changed things and he heard him gladly. And, and the problem is, is that in verse 18, we find out that Herod, Herod feared John, but he didn't fear God because when John spoke to him, there was something that Herod refused to change. There was sin that was exposed through the man of God 
in Herod's life, and Herod held on to it. It was a beloved sin. It was that thing. Now think about this. It was that thing that he held to strongly. It was something that, that was so rooted and grounded to who he was that the thought of getting rid of it turned him off to the things of God. It was something that was in his everyday life. And when it was in verse 18, the Bible says that, that John the Baptist, knowing whether it's prophetically or not, knowing Herod's personal life, spoke to him and said, you're married to your brother's wife. You have adultery going on in your life. Get rid of it. And it was a sin that Herod said, you know what? It's not worth it. See, he chose to hold on to that one thing, that sin, that beloved sin that kept him from being. And listen, one of the things, Herod feared John, but I want you to know this, John did not fear Herod. See, there's something that the power of God does. When you live by conviction, you're not afraid. You are not moved by the opinions of man. Can I get an Amen. See, when you live by the convictions of God, the, 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 the opinions of man doesn't move you because you know what the word of God says about you. You know who God is and you know who you are. And so when Herod got to this place and identified the thing, it's like this. You know, when you, go to, when you go to the doctor, I've had many knee problems, and I go to the doctor, and he looks at my knee, and he's pushing, he's pressing, he's like, does it hurt here? No. Does it hurt here? No. Does it hurt here? No. And he hits that one spot, and it takes my breath away, and I, like, want, want to hit the doctor. You ever been there? Like, I just something happens, and all of a sudden, but what does it do? That place of pain identifies the place that needs to be addressed, and with Herod, it was this. And you have the opportunity to respond to either change it or hold on to it. Either change it or hold on to it. So, and I want to ask you this question. It costs, this actually costs John his life. But, but listen, 2,000 years later, the message of John is not ceased because he preached truth. The message of John lives and rings through this house today because he preached truth. Responding to the conviction, being a man that lives according to convictions. Just imagine with me for a moment. And we can all identify things in our life that we're holding on to. Listen, listen, when you talk about Esau, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. It is, I've heard people say that every man has a price. Well, for Esau, it was a bowl of soup. For Ahab, it was, it was a garden of, of herbs. For Judas, he sold out for 30 pieces of silver. For Herod, he sold out for adultery. There's, there's things in our life that we hold on to that we hold beloved and we just won't change it about us for some reason. But, but, the, but the Bible speaks about, about an opportunity, about a grace, about a Savior who come, not to just remove some things, but to remove us, remove all things. For the ability to remove that, that stronghold that sin has in our life. But just imagine with me for a moment that thing that was maybe hidden, the thing that was held on to. If Herod would have responded to the man of God that day, how would his life and his legacy and remembrance have changed at that moment? Instead of offering the head of John the Baptist on a, of a, on a silver platter to a lust that had entered his life, what if he would have said, no, 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 that's a man of God. No, 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 no. 
That's a sin. And if he would have responded to it and actually removed that, what would his life and legacy be like today if he would relinquish that? And, and, and all the time, I pray, I pray, pray all the time, Lord, whatever it is in my life that I'm holding on to that you want, God, let me give it up. I don't want to trade my purpose, my birthright for a bowl of soup. I don't want to trade you, God, for 30 pieces of silver. I don't want to trade you, Lord, for an herb garden. I don't want to trade you for adultery. I don't want to trade, trade. And there's nothing that this world has to offer that is better than him. Amen. And so they're saying, and so conviction exists, not to, to be not to be a hindrance and not to be a punishment and not to keep us from good things. It actually exists as God's order to reward us and bring us closer to him. And many of the things that we struggle with, God has reserved for us later if we would give it to him, if we would give it to him. There was a, there's a story I've read when I, was in, when I was in college, I did a, um, a paper on D.L. Moody. He's, one of the, he's an evangelist and, um, back in the 1800s. And, and I did a, wrote a paper on him, and there's a story of him. It was like one of those great, uh, when I was in divinity school, it was one of those great 25-page um, pages on, yeah, I heard some moans and groans. And so I began to study, but there's a story that, that came to my mind with this. And um, he's a, um, he was a, he's a great evangelist. If you didn't know this, we, ever, anybody ever heard of a tent revival? So that came from D.L. Moody. And so he would come and draw crowds, and, and he would come into a city, and there would not be a facility or a church to hold him. Neither did he want to go to a specific church. He was, more, he was focused on the kingdom itself as an evangelist. And he would come in, and he would come to a city and set up a tent and invite all the pastors and all the churches there. And that is where revival would break out. That's where tent revivals came from because D.L. Moody would set up tents to hold everybody, and revival would break out in the cities. That's where tent, tent revival. So when someone sets up a tent, the reason why is because there was no facility to hold them. There was no, nothing specific about a tent. But uh, that wasn't what I want to tell you. That had nothing to do with conviction, but just interesting. But D.L. Moody, one of the stories is, is that he was in a city and he was preaching. Revival was breaking out. And there was, and we all know there's, there was a group of, of people who were getting saved and radically changed and, and God was moving and repentance and conviction was going. Then there was a group of people who just weren't convicted and just was out to get you. Anybody ever experienced like that? You're like, did you hear the same message I did and it's not responding to you? Like how could, and, and there, was a, there was a bar or at the time it was a saloon that was opening up in the town. And so to mock D.L. Moody, they sent him an invitation to the grand opening. So D.L. Moody ran in to, took the invitation and went to the owners, the two, two owners of the bar. And he went to them and he says, hey, thank you for the invitation. I will be there. And now they were just mocking him thinking that he would never show up. And they said, no, 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 what are you talking about you'll be there? He said, well, I got an invitation. I just want you to know I will be there. And so he comes up to the, to the bar and, and then said, well, you can't go. We'll, we'll call the police. He says, well, the police is going to turn me away or arrest me because I have an invitation. It's right here. What are they going to do with this? And so, so he said, you know what? So they began to, to, to really get upset and begin. To, they said, well, you're not going to preach, are you? He said, I might. He said, well, don't do it. He said, finally, after arguing a little bit, he says, well, I'll tell you what. I won't go if you'll pray with me right now. And so the men come, and they, they begin to pray. And, and 
And it said that there was a, a man, one of the owners that began to pray, began to cry. And he shared with him in that moment that he had a grandmother that loved God and that prayed for him and prayed that he would be convicted towards the, of the things of, that were not of God. And so, and so he, he relinquished. They went back and they opened up the business and they went and did it. D.M. Moody didn't show up. He said three months later, the bar and the saloon, it, it, had, it had imploded and it was, there was problems after problems and, and, it, and it collapsed. And that one day, he's in another city and a man walks through the door and comes to him. And it was one of the owners of the bar and he comes to him and he gets on his hands and knees and he gives his life to Jesus. And he says, thank you for being convicted over what God's word says. And the man gave his life there. The saloon was shut down. And things in that city turned upside down radically for Jesus because the, the man was willing to live out a conviction that God had in his life. Now, I don't say that tonight to tell you to go to a bar tonight and try to shut it down. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> that would cause more problems, obviously. What I am saying that is when you live according to the convictions in the word of God, that you will find that God is always on your side. There are, there are times where you may feel and feel, feel alone in your convictions. You may feel alone in who God's called you to. You may feel alone in that you may be the only one, but I want you to know that the world just wants, is dying, literally, spiritually, is dying for the church to be who the church is supposed to be. And so when we don't look like Jesus and we don't talk like Jesus and we don't, we don't pray like we're supposed to pray and we don't walk in the power and authority because we hold on to these things that we want to hold on so dearly that we don't exhibit. Listen, Jesus never identified himself as a savior or identified himself as a healer without demonstrating that as a testimony to the world. When he called himself a healer, a sick person would come up and say, you said you were a healer, and he would heal them. When he called himself the Savior, he gave his life on the cross for us. He always demonstrated with a testimony. And I'll say this, if you call yourself a believer, live like it. Act like it. Respond to the conviction power of the Holy Spirit like you love him. And, be, and stand there and say, hey, God, God, and sp listen, speak to yourself. Say, I will not, I refuse to allow this thing in my life to rob me of what God has for me. To pull me close, to pull me away from him. But if you want to draw closer to him, then do it. Everybody stand with me. We're going to pray. So listen, God's design and God's focus for conviction is so that he can bring delight to us. He can bring joy to us. That he can, it's his order of wanting to deliver to us what's rightfully ours. That's the purpose of the cross, was to bring that salvation and to bring that peace and that joy to our life. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you tonight, God, for, for your people. God, I thank you, God, for the grace to speak your word tonight, Father. And Lord, as we leave this place, Father, I thank you, God, that your desire for us is to live in peace, God, to live healed, to live righteous, God, and to live according to your word, Lord. And I pray for strength, God, over your people. If you need strength, just receive it right now.
Father, I pray for strength, God. God, strength that only comes from you, Lord, to be who you have called us to be, to walk according to your word, God. God, to worship you in spirit and in truth, God. I pray in Jesus' name, God, that this, that tonight, Lord, that this becomes a doorway that opens us up into the order of God, to the provision of God, to the joy of God, to the power God, of God, Lord. I pray, thank you, Lord, for a demonstration and a testimony of living righteously before you, God. And God, I pray as we leave this place, God, we know that you go before us, God. God, your word says that you order the steps of the righteous. And God, I pray that you order our steps tonight as we leave this place. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from our midweek experience. If you want to partner with us as we see lives changed and God's kingdom advanced, you can donate through our website, highestpraisechurch.com. And if you would like to stay up to date with all that God is doing here, be sure to follow us on Instagram at highest.praisechurch and like us on Facebook at Highest Praise Church. We can't wait to see you soon.